forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello. I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, but maybe I won't be anymore and I'm just going to give up. <laughs> Hi, I'm Gabe Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and uh, also me. I, let's. What are we going to do other than this? Let's find new jobs. No, Let's find new jobs. What should we do? What are our skills? I'm going to run an animal sanctuary. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. Should I work at a library? Doing what? Like being a librarian? Yeah, but then oh, you have to study library sciences. Okay, yeah. here's my here's my plan. Okay. The role of coroner is an elected position. Oh my god! <laughs> Honestly, at this point, just go do it. Just go be a coroner, so you can shut up about wanting to be a coroner. No, well, here's the thing. I have looked into. There's a two year program for mortuary sciences. Later on, we in this episode we talk about like what I could go to grad school for. I feel like I could take. I could do a program on mortuary sciences and then I could work at a funeral home. Oh, I don't you not even need a degree to be a coroner. Can't literally anyone be a coroner. No, no, no. A coroner, you just run for it. But I'm saying right. if I wanted to take classes in mortuary science, I and I not and don't run for coroner, just get a job at a funeral home. Have you ever seen a dead body? Yes. And you're OK with that? Mm hmm. All right. So yeah, maybe that could work for you. Sometimes I think, yeah, because I have whatever skill it is that you don't get freaked out by that. And I got to mm. imagine that's a pretty rare skill. So yeah. I'm just, I feel like I'm not capitalizing on my ability to handle dead bodies. <laughs> <laughs> like I have a skill and I'm just not using it. Right. Okay. So that, we really figured that out. Great. Yeah. Give so me, I'm going to, I, I, like years ago, I actually had I actually looked into like what it would take to get a degree in mortuary sciences from like a local college. And I, I went to like a zoom to like hear about it. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Were you doing it so that that could be your real career? Or were you doing it so you could then write about doing it? No, I was doing it to literally like be like, okay, I need to have a steady, I need to have a job, like a skill and a job that I can like, in case everything goes to shit, like I can, I can get a job somewhere. Yeah, I Maybe I did I'll that. Still do it. I did that for going back to grad school, and then I switched programs. So now I still couldn't do anything. <laughs> but see, my thing would be like a two-year community college. Like it would just be, um, you just have to get the skill of mortuary sciences, and then you're done. Wow, that's wild. Anyway, this is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty. Let me know if anyone here has studied mortuary sciences or if anyone listening thinks that I should do that as like a side career. Let me know. All right. Help me out. Oh, my God. Are you a, do you work at a funeral home? Reach out. Help me. <laughs> we got a very fun episode for everyone today, despite Gabe and I both wanting to quit our jobs. Yeah, we're going to be talking to Gabe Malika all about adult friendships. And he was so delightful. And it's nice to meet another Gabe. And later we'll be talking all about stuff. Is it bad to want it? <laughs> <laughs> but first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means? Hit International question. International question. International question. Danny, Canada. Wow, right. true international. 
<laughs> Danny says, Hi, Allison and Gabe. I just want to say I really love the show. I have been listening to it every week since the start of the pandemic. You both are the reason I love going on walks in the woods. Thank you so much for your company in very hard times. My name is Danny, they, them, Latinx, living in Canada. And this is my international question. How do you confront someone that constantly lies? I live with three people. One of them I deeply consider my best friend and family. Their fake name, for privacy reasons, is Teddy, they, them. And they were diagnosed with ADHD in the midst of the pandemic, while also going through several depressive episodes. Several times throughout our time living together, I noticed how they were not the most honest person, exaggerating stories, telling weird details that don't make sense, and just making stuff up. I never really confront them about it because it is never lies that hinder me or that I have to be suspicious about. Privately, me and Teddy have talked about the sometimes excessive lying and how it is never to hurt anyone, but rather just make a story more interesting. A symptom of what they understood now was their ADHD. It was never hindering because it was never personalized or purposeful lying. That was until they confessed a big lie that they had been carrying around for two months. I forgave them because I understood the reasons behind it since they were honest about why they lied the whole time. I also am compassionate towards their mental illness, but I was clear from then that this friendship does not work if there is no honesty. But granted, they didn't stop lying. The little lies since then have given me the ick, but my suspicions have never been good enough to confront them about it. There have been so many of the little ones that I just moved past and gave them the benefit of the doubt. Then a big accident happened where we almost got evicted out of a mistake they made that they lied about. Given the past little lies, I am sure this has been another lie. I truly do not understand how to give them a chance to be honest when this incident had so many opportunities for honesty and it dragged on so long because of their dishonesty. I just want them to take up accountability for their lies without having to ask for it. In the past, I've educated myself and I've worked with them to make our friendship work given the accommodations they need because of their ADHD. But how much compassion do I give when the value of honesty is just not aligning? How much is it my responsibility to say it's your ADHD every time without acknowledging that the lying does hurt? And especially with the big mistake like the last one, how do I even tackle all the times they accidentally lie without sounding untrustworthy, suspicious of their stories? Thank you so much for reading this. Even if it doesn't end in the pod, I appreciate it. Okay, so there's a big difference between little lies or making stories exciting and straight up lying and also getting you evicted. Like you're you're like, oh, well, I don't want to I don't want to be mad at them about, you know, whatever. But like there there's genuine negative consequences to the lying like that do affect you and that are really big. And I think these are two different things. I think you're saying like, oh, I don't want to act suspicious or like be weird to my friend, which like that I could see that if it was just little exaggerations. But these are like big, scary things that like you almost got evicted. Like at a certain point, you have to prioritize your peace. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because we sort of like get to this later in the interview portion of the show. But I think that Something I'm really learning and reckoning with is that so much of like the friendships we have in our lives and even the relationships we have in our lives, we can come from a place of, but if only, like, mm-hmm. but if only this changed, if only I could get through to this, um, then it would be the relationship that I want. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, especially with people where it's a real pattern, you have to say to yourself, 
am I okay being friends with a liar? Mm-hmm. And if so, what type of friendship with a liar works for me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know that's like a little weird, but like, for example, you probably don't want to live with a liar because mm-hmm. of things like the possibility of eviction or them actually having like a lot of control over your life because they are in your space and your roommate and, and shared spaces and all of that. But you might be able to say, but it's okay for me to just be friends with a liar mm-hmm. who I don't necessarily rely on in certain ways that I would rely on someone who I didn't think was a liar, if right. that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because there's a huge difference between, you know, it's funny when we had Monet Exchange on the podcast, we were talking about how she and I both love to spin a yarn. We love to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And I'm not always doing that. There is a lot of stuff where I recognize that it's important and I'm not doing that. Part of me is like in, in group settings or like on the show, I'm like, I'm an entertainer, you know, and Monet was sort of agreeing with me on that. And I know that you, because of your OCD, find things to be like, or I don't know if that's still the case, but you find things to be like push on you if they're not true. But I will challenge you and say that sometimes you think what you think is true is more negative than it actually is. Like you go, this is objectively true, but I'm like, is it true or is it just the more negative approach? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I definitely, we talked about it before. Like I find your exaggeration and like lying to be really something I like, but I'm not lying with, I don't right? lie like I try to I think we have different definitions I'm not a liar no but you're a big exaggerator and in my brain exaggeration to the extent that you did it at least at times in our lives is the same as lying to me I know under but it's my funny because we disagree because I'm like is me spinning something positively that isn't necessarily a lie but I'm just taking the positive approach to it so that publicly it comes off a certain way. I don't think that's lying. I think that's like taking the more positive look at the thing. Or sometimes I've been like annoyed because I, in my opinion, something is X, Y, and Z. And then other people will say, well, that's not true. But I'm like, like true is hard for me because I'm like, well, we've come away with different takes on what happened. But I've had so many people in my life try to convince me that like, my take is somehow wrong. And I think I'm susceptible to that because Mm -hmm. of, I don't know, trauma or whatever. But like, I remember my ex, I would be like, you yelled at me. And they would be like, no, I didn't. And that's something, and I I would just be like, like I, they would say, oh, that's an exaggeration to say I yelled. But then I would like think back and be like, no, they did yell. And so I get my like hackles up now about being like, you're exaggerating. Because I feel like I'm not exaggerating that stuff. When I'm exaggerating, I'm exaggerating by being like 20 people. Like I like, I like dropped a shot glass and then 20 people turned around and looked at me and maybe it was like three people. Like that's really all I did. (laughs) But it's like funny because I think to you, you then would go, it was three people. And yeah, but that's a thing that like we had to recognize about each other. And then I had to be like, okay, like, Gabe's version of events is not my but responsibility. But also you take me seriously. <laughs> like if I say something bad happened, you take it seriously. Totally. Yeah. I will say like, I will maybe sometimes ask a few more yes. clarifying questions with you than with somebody else. Because I know that the way that you recount things is different than yeah. how I would recount things. 
And so if like, I want to get like a full version of what happened, sometimes I will like dig a little deeper with you. Um, And that's just like a thing that I know that like, if I want the truth, quote unquote, then like, I just ask a couple more questions. You're not gonna lie about those questions. It's just like a little clarifying. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) But it was also like something happened where we were together and something happened where someone texted you something nuts. And then you were like validating, like, no, that's what it is. And I felt like there were some other people who were saying, oh, no, it, it, I'm, that's not my interpretation of it. It's like people have their own interpretations, but it was helpful to me that you were like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's another thing is, right, we're all living in our own realities. No two people exactly. have the same perceptions of anything. But I think that perception and yes. then... It's like a it's like a sliding scale. It's like perception to exaggeration right. to lying to big lies. Like, and again, it instead of like, how do I f- change my friend? Which I don't even think this reader is asking. It's really about like, what is your tolerance level? And I do think that it gets into this tricky thing when like the root of a lot of these behaviors maybe come back to a mental illness, and so then it is like, oh, am I not? being a good ally? Am I not being a good friend? Because I, I, I don't want to tolerate something that can be traced back to an ADHD but what are diagnosis. They doing, but what are they doing to rectify it? Yeah. Like at the same time, like you are still allowed to have boundaries in your relationships with people, especially if this doesn't seem to be like Gabe alluded to something that they actively want to yeah. work on. I mean, it's, it's one thing to be like, I'm so sorry, I will never do this again. This is something I'm actively working on in therapy or, you know, but if it's like, this is me, I kind of lie and, and it's, and I exaggerate and, and it's to different, right, staggering right. different degrees, like then it's really like, okay, what kind of friendship am I willing to create with this person? And how do I take certain things they say with a grain of salt without feeling guilty about taking it with a grain of salt. Well, also like if there's a big difference, like I had a friend who would in New York who I had to cut off who would just lie and be like, oh, I was in the hospital and then ask for money. And then we Mm. would be like, were you in the hospital? Like that's a huge difference than like, than like me being like, (laughs) I think, or like this person, if this person, if you were like, I've just really irked because this person says, you know, that they had the flu, but they had a cold or whatever, you know, or like, oh, I got no sleep last night, but they really just got like five hours. Like it's stuff like that versus like Mm -hmm. saying something that is ruining your life or taking advantage of you. I don't think you have to put those in the same basket. Well, it's also, yeah, you definitely don't. And it's like that kind of gets to how much are the lies impacting your life? So obviously for a while, they weren't really impacting your life. Mm-hmm. So it's like not that big of a deal. But then it suddenly really did impact your life. And so it's this thing where like you can move past something with somebody, but it does alter the way that you Absolutely. view them and interact with them. Absolutely. And I think that that's okay. Like the friendship maybe will be different after yeah, they almost got totally. you evicted. <laughs> like, and that's the reality. And and that's, and like, it can feel yucky that it is different. And it can feel yucky that like now suddenly when your friend says stuff, you don't automatically believe them. But I also don't think that that means they have to stop being your friend. It's just a different type of relationship. And it's just like a different lens through which you see what they're saying yeah. than maybe with other people. It's tough because I do think people have have reasons, but it starts to gain you a reputation at a certain point. Like, obviously, I'm being funny, but I'm not 
saying stuff that I, that people don't trust me because I know people that start, like they start getting a reputation among the group of friends that everything they say is, is a lie. And that's like hard. Mm. Once that sort of bag of, you know, bag of feathers is opened, it's hard to, to gain being like trustworthy again. Do you ever, that Jewish parable? No, I what's a bag of feathers? There's a Jewish parable where this guy gossips a lot and he like gossiped about his friend mm. and his friend was like, hey, that's super fucked up that you gossiped about me. And the friend is like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, how do I make it right? And he says, go outside, open a bag, open a pillow of feathers and let the feathers out. And then the guy's like, okay, so he does that. And then his friend says, okay, now go and collect all of those feathers. That's how, because that's the how far the gossip goes like you can't ever get every single feather so there's actually nothing you can do oh wow that's brutal yeah it's tough and it's also tough when like it's something that is so different than how you operate like especially if you're someone who really Mm -hmm. values honesty like it can be just like so confounding like why another person wouldn't and would lie like this and even if you do understand fear, I think it's a lot of fear. Who knows why they do it? But I think just being yeah. able to say like, we, I operate in this world fundamentally differently than this other person. And therefore, maybe there needs to be some certain boundaries or structures in place for us to maintain a friendship because like there is that fundamental incompatibility. So it's going to be a bit of a bumpier ride than with people who have the same relationship with honesty as you. And I also still just want to say like honesty can be subjective. Does this person say, oh, sorry, I lied? Or, you know, do they think that they're lying? Or is it just like you guys exist in different realities? No, it seems like they know they're lying. And then they were covering yeah, covering rough. it up and stuff. Yeah, that's rough. Hopefully that helped. If you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's just between us, P-O-D at gmail.com. Up next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Gabe Malika. Stay tuned. Just between us. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most controversial segment known to all podcasting. Tough questions. This week on the show, we have Gabe Malika, comedian, storyteller, and writer living in Astoria, Queens. He's performed his critically acclaimed hour, Solo, a show about friendship. At the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, the Winnipeg Fringe Festival, Manhattan's prestigious 59 East 59th Street Theater, and cities across the globe. Solo is currently running off-Broadway at the Soho Playhouse. Hello, Gabe. Hey, everybody. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting. And my show, by the time this is out, my show will have been extended a third time. So come see it in March and April at the Soho Playhouse. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it's very, very very exciting. A dream come true. So we're so excited to dive into what you cover in this show because we love the topic of friendship having both struggled individually with friendships and with our friendship with each other. Um, And so can you kind of take us through like the genesis of this idea and what inspired you like as a guy to like really focus on like adult male friendships? Yeah. So I knew right away when I was going to my first open mics years ago that I wanted to do solo shows. Like I saw like Birbiglia and Hassan Minaj and Jacqueline Novak and all these great solo show people. And I was like, Oh, I think that's like what I'm better at. I don't really want to be like a club comic in Omaha, just like doing a weekend. That's like not my vibe. Most people do stand up for 10 years and they pivot. And they're like, I'm actually better at this. But I knew right away. 
And for a long time, I had this kind of like love triangle story from when I was 22 and I was living in Scotland. And it's like the main kind of story of the show. And I would do that for a long time. And at a certain point, it was like, who cares? This happened when you were 22. Like, what difference does it make? Why does why should anybody care about this now? And most importantly, why do I care about it now? And one of the reasons I cared about it is because like I had a best friend and it went poorly. It, it ended. And so I started thinking about it from the lens of it's less about how I started comedy after that. And it's less about this love triangle and more about like, wait, I turned 30 and I'm like, do I not have any friends? And so I started mm-hmm. thinking about that. And then this other thing that happened, which is about a year ago, my, my mother got sick and she's feeling a lot better. You know, don't worry. But she got sick and she was in the hospital and I have all these bros and the bros just like did not know how to handle it. And so once that happened, I was like, oh my God, I think I might be alone. Like, I think I just like have these people I hang out with that I don't know anything about. And once I put that lens on that story and combine those two big parts of my life, I was like, oh, now it's a show. Now it's like really cooking. And so I read a book about friendship, uh, like a textbook. I interviewed a <laughs> professor. Like I kind of just like went all in on it. And the other thing is, I'll just say this real quick. It's like, I'm not like a friendship influencer. Like, I don't think people are going to be like, yeah, like I joined a bowling league because like Gabe told me like, that's how you make friends. It's more like, I'm, this is a thing I'm observing about my own life that like I'm not as connected to the bros as maybe I could be or I should be. Um, but I do think it's a worthwhile show. And I think people leave being like, I'm going to call my best friend. Like we should, we have stuff to talk about. And that's been the most fun part. I love that. So weird. You're not a friendship influencer, but uh, (laughs) I mean, I think that there's also been just so much discussion lately about male loneliness. You know, I think we all see those articles like popping about through Twitter and everything. And why do you think like in like your work on this show or just like internally, do you think that maybe it's sometimes harder for men to have like deeper emotional connections with their friends? Yeah, that's a that's an excellent question. Um, the why is so is so difficult to answer. I, I guess I'll start by saying like a big part of the show is like I have these bros and I play video games with them and we don't talk about anything serious. And like my mm-hmm. mom would be like uh, Nick's sister had a baby. How does Nick feel about being an uncle? And I was like, I don't know how Nick feels about anything. Uh, like, what do you mean? <laughs> moms, like, <that's, laughs> moms love to do that. It's their favorite thing. And, uh, and it's become like the genesis of the whole show spirals from that one moment. It's such a mom question. It's a thing that like, we've kind of always had that relationship. And when I read the friendship textbook, it was like, typically, and this is gendered, of course, but like in their studies, they were like, men typically have shoulder to shoulder relationships where you're just like next to each other and there's another activity. And typically, generally speaking, women have a more likely to have a face-to-face relationship where like the friendship is each other and like they're having a glass of wine or a cup of coffee or whatever it is. And that's just like culturally, like what we value, like as children, like that's what was pushed upon us, of course, by society. And that transcends gender. It's just like what you're pressured into doing or feeling. For me, it's like, what are some antidotes for that? I talk about in the show, like we have this big group phone call while we play video games. And one of the things I've started to do since the show is just call friends one-on-one. I think that's like a nice antidote or a nice solution because it's a, you know, I'm on my phone all the time, like everyone else. I'm a millennial and I'm extremely lonely. And the the, the cell phone function is actually one of the weird ones that like will make you feel less alone. And also you won't be on your screen while you do it. Like I'll take a walk and I'll call like a buddy when he's at a lunch break. And I'm like, Oh, my God, I feel so much better. And it's a thing that like my dad who's like, I would not say the most like he doesn't have like friends come over the house, but he's just on his phone all day long making phone calls driving around in the car. And I'm like, Oh, like, that's his solution to this. 
because he was born in 1958. <laughs> and he kind of has it figured out in this like weird backwards way. And so I think the why question is really difficult. Like I'm not a sociologist, like I don't know, but I know that I have to deal with the consequences of that. And so I'm, I've been just trying to call friends more. I love that. And I think that just that also like we've talked a lot about like the difference between like group friends and individual friends. And I've like with my partner will sometimes be like, and how'd this thing go for their friend? And I'll be like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> and he's no like idea. a pretty emotionally intelligent guy who is like very close. But I do think there is like maybe like lack of an instinct to like ask questions in the way that sometimes with female friendships, like the go-to is like, and now for this next hour, we will both lay ourselves bare and yeah. share every every thought that has occurred to, in our brain since we last saw each other. Totally, totally. And when, the, when like the bros, because I've known these guys since high school, when that does happen, it's like very rare and we remember it. Like we'll be like, well, yeah. remember that one time we had that crazy conversation? Like that'll never happen again. <laughs> <laughs> is, the, is the fear that the person who asks that is like a weirdo? That asks what? Like a more intimate like, question? Like, how do you feel about being an, an uncle? Uh, you, you're asking the right question, Gabe, because um, the show ends with me re-asking that question in a new way. So you're already ahead of the game. It's Maybe I wouldn't phrase it that way, but I think part of it is just like having a genuine curiosity about like, um, not just like the way Nick feels about like the latest Curb season, but also <laughs> like, hey, like he's sending me pictures of his niece and every once in a while being like, yeah, man, do you like hanging out with this kid? I've never seen you like play with children, but you suddenly will go send me a random video of this kid in a Superman outfit. Like you must like get some enjoyment out of it. But is it a fear of rejection? Is it like if you ask that question as a guy, your friends will be like, what the hell is wrong with you? There's a little bit about that. And I'm also like pretty sensitive, like in my own life, like I love Sondheim musicals, like a big part of the show is like my love of Sondheim and musical theater. And it's all external. And it's these people telling you how they feel at all times. Is it a fear of rejection? I don't know. Part of it, part of it, honestly, and I think this is a lot of it, is just like my, like the bros in my life are like lazy and like not curious all the time. And like sometimes it's like laziness. It's just like easier to talk about sports or it's easier to talk about TV um, than it is to talk mm -hmm. about this heavier stuff. But as I hang out with Nick one-on-one -on -one more, like since the show, because like I kind of like talk about a low moment for him, like in our friendship. And he's like very cool about me talking about this stuff. Like he's like the best. But we do, since the show, we have had more serious conversations. And I think we are exposing ourselves a little bit more to me being like, yeah, man, like how's this thing that you told me about? How's that going? And just like having more of a, a, slightly, a slightly more evolved relationship in the way that like my sister has with seemingly all of her friends. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think there are different types of friendships, right? There are going to be some people where like, that's just not what it's about. It's not about like, it's more about sharing quality time. Um, mm -hmm. And then there are people that are more open and, and do engage when you ask those questions. So I think like not putting the pressure that every friendship you have, pre-existing friendship needs to get to that level. Yeah. It might not be natural for that dynamic. In the textbook I read, there's like a tiering system that this guy uses at the University of Maryland where it's like a must friend. And that's somebody like something big happens in your life, you have to tell them. So that's like the yeah. top of the pyramid. And then after that, it's like must, just friends where it's like, yeah, like we see each other socially. Then there's like rust friends, which is like, oh, like I haven't seen them in a long time. But if I did see them, I bet we'd have a really good conversation. Uh, and so he kind of like walks you through like that process. And for me, having like the language to describe that, 
Because I opened the show by being like, yeah, I have no friends. And people are like, what does this guy mean? Like, I kind of like him. Like, he's telling jokes. Like, he must know somebody, you know? Like, I'm a producer. <laughs> like, I think people are think, like, I'm this, like, like, I open the show and they're like, this guy's not an incel. Like, people like him, you know? Um, and so I don't know. I try to, like, walk that back almost immediately where I'm like, I do have bros. Uh, and then I kind of explain that dynamic. But yeah, I think the tiered system is fine. And like different people can serve different roles in your life and, and serve different purposes in your life. Like my relationship that like fell apart, I don't resent it. I talk about it pretty lovingly, but I am honest that like it is over. Yeah. Can we get a little into that and like why like that heartbreak has lingered for so many years? Yeah, I think the first part of it is like I met this guy, Tom, in college in poetry class. And we were just like, as, as most great friendships, that's begin. literally the, <laughs> the show. You, you, guys are re- you guys are on it. This is a show for you. you know, we, we met and we were just like inseparable. Like we took every class together for us to college. We lived together. He was like a, a sports guy who liked musicals. I was like a musical guy who liked sports. Like we kind of just like fit <laughs> in each other in this weird way. And we just hung out all the time. And then we started working at a, a camp together that he had worked at for, for kids with illnesses. I just like fell in love with this camp and fell in love with the culture of it. And he like really changed my life. Then we get into this kind of like love triangle situation. And it just like ends really poorly. And... It's one of those things where I kind of think of the show as this almost like this rom-com, but about just like dudes who are no longer friends. And it felt like, it feels like it's kind of this thing that we don't talk about. Like every, there's there's romantic comedies. There's like a genre and there's like a way to do them. And there's very few stories, I think, that like, no, 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 the drama is that like we're no longer friends. Because drama with relationships, people understand. But this friendship thing feels... When people see it, they're like, oh, I kind of haven't seen something like this, even though it feels like pretty, it's all very familiar. It's like, I'm in a summer camp, I'm at college, I'm in like a bar and like we're drinking and we're dancing or like um, there's a story about me getting caught hooking up in public, you know, it's like very accessible. But the themes I think people are like relating to in a really fun way. And yeah, it's, it's just, it's a blast to do every night. But it's like a you're reliving this this heartbreak. I think people don't think of friendship breakups as being heartbreak like you're calling it a rom-com like I think sometimes it's also this thing of like you were like we met and we just really fit and we became best friends and we lived together and like that's the arc of a relationship like that's like losing that is deeply upsetting and you know I think people are don't take it seriously Mm. yeah I mean I I, there was a joke that like kind of got cut from the show but it's about this exact thing where it's like if you go visit someone in the hospital and you're like, that's my husband, they're like, oh, come on right in. And if you walk into a mm-hmm. hospital in the ER, you're like, yeah, that's my friend. They're like, I don't care about, <laughs> like, wait. You no, know? they're like, my best friend. Yeah, and like, you're they like, don't no. understand. Yeah, but it's like this yeah. sacred, in some ways it's like, you know, I have friends who are married who tell me things that they might not tell their spouse, you know, not mm-hmm. all the time and not in every scenario. And there's certainly things that they tell their spouse that they don't tell me. But it is this kind of, sacred kind of relationship and I think Amy Poehler talked about it as like um a best friend is like a is is a tier it's not just one person it's like this like this like uh place to get to right and I remember reading that and being like oh hell yeah like that's super true sometimes people are especially older people sometimes they're like I can't believe you're talking about this like you're like a 30 year old dude with a beard and you're like oh I got my heart broken by my bro and like it is it feels really sweet I'm like oh yeah like you know it is sweet. 
has the show made you want to reach out to him or what does that look feel like? Like, does it does it feel dead to you or does it feel like something you want to go back to? You know, I I we have communicated in the past, not since doing the show. I think he knows about the show. There's a moment I don't want to give too much away, but there's a moment where I kind of talk about how the show like is for him in this weird way Mm. and it's hard to explain and it's kind of I feel like when I'm doing it there's a part of me that feels like like a 70 year old person talking about like their first marriage from 50 years ago it's this kind of like emotional moment for me and so I would like him to see it it's a thing that people keep asking like after the show they're like has Tom seen the show Mm. and I would like him to see it there's a part of me that thinks he would hate that I'm so open about everything and he would probably want to challenge me on a couple of the details that he remembers differently or whatever. And I'm less interested in that conversation and more interested in like, what do you think of like the storytelling? What do you think of like what I'm trying to say? Because he was the one who, he like loved the moth. He loves uh, NPR and This American Life. And I'm like, oh, like, dude, like you're just like the bad guy in this one, but like you're in the story. (laughs) Like you might like it. (laughs) Oh, so that's interesting. So. In your version, he wronged you. Is that how you feel? In the moment, yes. And I also have gotten better at kind of illuminating the parts of the relationship where I failed, where it's like I started dating this person. I kind of ignored him. I kind of became that person who starts dating someone and ignores their friends and everyone hates that person. So I take more culpability than I used to. But also, for a long time, the show would have this dramatic moment where it's like the reveal of how it all goes down. And it's this really heavy, dramatic moment and the lights change and all this stuff. And for a long time, up until a few weeks ago even, I kind of like skirted past it a little bit. I kind of let him off the hook a little early. And eventually, I, I'm working with this guy, my, a, a director named Greg Wallach, who, who worked on uh, Homecoming King with Hassan Minaj and is a world-renowned storyteller and travels the world and he's very accomplished. And he's gay and has cerebral palsy. And so he has these like really unique like perspective on life. And there's also a big part about kids in camp with disabilities. So I get this really unique perspective because part of the show is he's like, I'm gay. So like we hook up with people all the time. There's no such thing as a love triangle. Like it's all good. But how do I find empathy for this straight guy in the show? So anyway, he was like, you can't let Tom off the hook. Like you have to be mad in that moment. We, We need to feel how you felt at that moment. And so we've added stuff in where I'm like, he tells me and I'm like, and now I'm nauseous. And now I... I feel red, the screen grows red, the stage goes red. And we give myself a moment in that 75 minutes into the show to be mad. And then we we ease the tension. But I can't just like mm-hmm. dance around it to protect him and to make everybody feel good. Because it is, no one wants a movie where it's like, yeah, like they didn't dive in for the emotional parts. They kind of just like let everybody off the hook. And so once I did that, we started to get gasps. We started to get like, you could just like feel the reaction change. And that's been really satisfying and comforting to me too, because I think there was like some lingering guilt where it's like, are you still telling the story? Like who cares? Or like, was it as bad as you thought? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like part of it is like you were 22. So like everything is gigantic. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a part of the story too, to admit, to acknowledge like, yeah, like years later, like maybe I would react to this differently now. But I was 22 and this devastated me for years. Like it really like changed the trajectory of my life. Do you think like in his version, you're the villain? And do you see that? 
Yeah, I think his his whole MO is kind of like to minimize our relationship and to maximize their, where it's like they weren't even really going out. It wasn't a real thing. I didn't do anything wrong because like a mm. big part of the story is he's like, we're together and I'm not sorry mm. is like a big mm-hmm. piece of it. And so we get into this idea of like, what does it mean to do something and like not and and say to someone, I'm not sorry that I did this. Mm. That's where we start getting gasps in the show where people are like, oh, my God, he's not sorry. Like, what could that possibly mean? And yeah, we get into like a whole new kind of territory. So his perspective is really important to me. And I try to honor that while also honoring like how devastated I was for years mm-hmm. <laughs> after this. Do you think that that made it harder for you to have stronger friendships afterwards where you sort of like had your guard up? In a sense, yeah. Like, I don't know if I've made, I don't think I've ever had a friend like him before or since. Like, I think that's like a one-time thing. In a way, it's tragic. And in a way, it's illuminating where I've had romantic relationships like this. Maybe you guys can empathize with this, where sometimes it's like, and I didn't know this until like, you know, now I'm 31. But like, sometimes like the more intense it starts, that's how quickly it'll also end. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh my God, I'm obsessed with this person. We're spending all day together. Like every day is like this like roller coaster of time together. And what you want in a romantic relationship, I think, is like a, something that's a little bit more steady and a little bit more quiet and tacit and sweet. And I kind of had one of those friendships where it like burned really bright and then flamed out completely. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. do I miss, I, there's sometimes I miss it where it's like, oh, that was so exciting. And now I have to go back to the bros who like, we don't do anything. <laughs> we don't, and like, I don't, it's not that I want to. Like we people try to organize activities for us and I'm just like, that'll never work. Like we, we work best. You just like put on TV, hang out, order food. That's our life. And so, yeah, I miss it, but I also acknowledge that I'm glad I had it, and I'm glad, more than anything, guys, I'm glad I turned it into content, because that's what this is all about. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break for ads, but then we'll be right back with our guest. And we're back. I want to go back to, because I think this is something that people say a lot. And I hear it, there's two things. Okay, this is the first one. When you say, I have no friends, and you're talking about realizing that when your mom is sick and it's like a big moment. And I think that a lot of us can relate to something happens and you reach out and you're hoping that people will do stuff or be like, you know, I had top surgery and I was like, felt very vulnerable and had to sort of reach out to people. And I had to accept that some people were going to step up and some people weren't. Mm-hmm. And when people say like, I have no friends, can you explain that feeling or like, cause you're like, oh, my producer, like, you know, obviously my producer likes me and you're like, oh, you know, these people might say, oh, I go to work and I have coworkers, but like, people think, oh, you're being dramatic when you say you have no friends. Yeah, that's a, I think the surgery analogy is correct, particularly in the sense that like sometimes people, what I realized about the bros, my mom was in the hospital, was like, oh, they didn't know what to say. Like they didn't Mm -hmm. know what to do. They didn't know how to be a good friend. I'm sure like when you came out of the hospital and you're like, these people just do not know what to say. Like I, Mm -hmm. I just need their support. I don't need them to do anything crazy. For me, like that moment comes when I'm like, oh, if I don't have anybody who like knows what to do in this situation, then I'm alone because it's one thing to like dick around with somebody and it's another thing to 
have somebody who's there for you when you need them. And I think some of this comes from this idea of when you're going through something big like this, you want people in your life to just know what to do. And the truth is most people don't know what to do in a crisis. And sometimes you have to tell them. And for me, that was a really big hurdle where I was like, Nick, I don't need you to do blank. I don't need you to like solve, go to medical school and like figure out what's wrong with my mom. What I need you to do is just like ask me how I'm doing. Like that's it. And that is a really difficult thing because we want people in our lives to like read our minds. And it's a big ask for people, no matter how good or sweet they are. And for me, a big hurdle of the show is admitting to people, this is what I need from you. Mm-hmm. And what I found with like the dumb people in my life, and I would tell them that they're dumb to their faces, like these people are stupid. Just like give them an assignment. Yes. <laughs> like, like, yes. Oh, hey, man, I need you to drop off food and text me once a day. And they were like, okay. Yes. <laughs> Big time. That was the thing. When people say, like, can I do anything? I was like, yeah, yeah. can you go feed the cat? Like that lives yes. outside. Yeah, that was the yeah, whole thing. Yeah. But yeah, it was like giving people <laughs> tasks to do and then also being okay with that people can't. Like that was a big mm. thing is I would feel so vulnerable. Like I remember a package got delivered and I couldn't go get it. And I was like, I need someone to get this package. And I asked, you know, four or five people and they none of them could really go at that moment. They were like, I can go in a couple hours, whatever. And I remember feeling like, I don't have any friends. And then it was like, no, like it's vulnerable to ask, but like, they're still your friend if they can't do it right away. Like they're still your mm-hmm. friend if they can't, if they are like, hey, I actually can't do it or whatever. And you have to be okay with like almost... I don't know. It's hard because like even trying to put people in tears, like I remember I had a really traumatic Thanksgiving and I had just started Mm. to get to know this girl. And I was like, I was like, I'm really sad. It's like late at night. I don't know who to reach out to. I don't know who's going to be awake. It feels really vulnerable to be like, hey, are you awake when we don't really have that kind of relationship yet? But how do you get to the next tier of friendship is that you ask and you trust And so I reached out to her and then I called her crying. And like now, like two years later, three years later, she's my best friend. But I Mm -hmm. had to, I had to be like, okay, here we go. And then one time she wasn't awake and I went to someone else and I was like, okay, let's see if this person could like reach that tier. And then that Mm. person talked to me off a ledge. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, you can't get to the next tier if you don't start sharing with people, even though that is, or asking things of people, even though that is so Mm -hmm. against how I am and I, and I hate it. (laughs) Of course, it's so vulnerable to ask because I try to live my life where I'm like, I don't really ask anybody to do anything. Like Mm -hmm. I'm I'm independent. And I think, to be honest with you, it's probably the thing really holding me back from a romantic relationship. I'm like, I can't imagine (laughs) being that exposed to anybody. Like I'm barely doing it with the bros at this like very basic level. But I think you're onto something really, really important, which is the people who, God, the people who show up in your life, like those people are sacred and they don't, might not always know what to do. Like my father, I would not say is like the most emotionally available man in the world, but he shows up Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. there's legend of him showing up like years ago. Like, um, so I've heard of this, like this tearing thing. I, again, we always, I always hear it from the romantic side, which is like my mom's father, my mom's mother went to the hospital. This was like 1982 or something. And my dad just like showed up at the hospital after like six hours. It's like pre-cell phone. He just like, he was just like, she wasn't home. And he was like, she's at the hospital. 
And so I've heard that story of my father for years and years and years. Your father, you know, he shows up. And that's like a really, I'm, you know, I'm sure he didn't come in there like, no, he didn't do like psychoanalysis on her. He didn't like do like, he didn't know exactly what to say, but he was there. And so if you have somebody who wants to talk you off the ledge and who can show up, and even if they don't know the exact right things to say, that's really important. And I, it also makes me think of that Jonah Hill uh, therapy movie that just came out where he's like, your therapist, you want them to solve your problems and they won't, they won't give advice. They'll just listen. And your friends, you want them to just listen. And all they do is give you advice. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you have to ask and you have to be open to, to a little bit of disappointment. Yeah. Oh. But I never thought like I was like, oh, my God, literally like like I was like, OK, so maybe I should. There was something going on with my boyfriend's cat. And I was like, OK, my first instinct was literally like, let's hire a task rabbit to go check on the cat. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You there's like you have like a bunch of friends that you hang out with. You have like seven people in this group called Movie Club that you hang out with all the time and watch movies. Surely one of them can go check on the cat, you lunatic. But it's yeah. scary. I'm like, I can exchange money for your friendship. Money but can I solve can, this problem. I don't but have I to cannot be exchange friendship for friendship. What is wrong uh, with me? No, I think that's a real thing. I think that's a real that is a breathtaking example of it's so much easier to pay somebody. You're like, I have held up my end of the bargain. I don't owe anyone anything. I understand this interaction, but me yes. asking you to leave work to check on a cat. Now, what do I do? What do I owe you? What do I do? Yeah. How do I pay? <laughs> yeah. This is like a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. This is, um, it's much easier to pay for stuff. Oh, that's, yeah, that's so tricky because it's not, I mean, I, I feel that urge all the time just because money, money makes sense to me. It's like, I'll give you 10 bucks. Like you can move these boxes, but like, Hey, a friend to help me move. Oh, oh, you have to say thank you and be vulnerable. No, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and then you owe them. And then what do you, but like, obviously like you don't, you don't owe them just if something comes up, like my friend helped me mm -hmm. move and then she needed a place to shoot her film. And like, that's something that came up. But like the thing that would have come up maybe was six months from now, maybe it was a year from now. Or you remember, yeah. you go, that person helped me move. They're calling me crying. I can take an hour of my day, you know? Mm -hmm. that's, and that's just mm -hmm. fucking friendship. And I'm acting like it's psychotic. No, no, I think it, it's because it's vulnerable. It's vulnerable to ask for help. Yeah. My mom talks about this all the time, this idea of like, hey, we don't keep score. Yeah. Like in the house where it's like, I made you dinner, but like, I'm not like, oh, that's the thousandth dinner I've made you, Gabe, in the last five years. Like, it's just like no way to live your life. So it's this weird system where it's like, I'm not keeping score, but I am remembering who helped me out and who hooked me up. Right. Well, it's like the rule of reciprocity. Like if somebody does something for you, you're much more likely to want to do something for them. Mm -hmm. And so totally like a lot of times, like asking a friend to help you is a great opening for them to feel comfortable to ask exactly. you for something later. <laughs> you're yeah. like setting the tone of like, this is okay for us to do. Like even with my neighbor who I've become friends with, like whenever she asks for a favor, I'm like, oh, this is fantastic because not only can I, uh, I can help her and like feel like a good friend when I'm away and I need her to get my mail. It's no big deal because that's something that we do for each other. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I saw some like nut job TikToker one time say something about like, if you want somebody to like you, ask them to do you a small favor. And I don't it's know true. why that works, but it does. And I was like, oh, that feels so manipulative. But I do think it might work. Like we like helping people. That's the other thing. Yeah. Like your friends like love the idea of like, yeah, I helped him out. Like, God, when we were early on and like we were having trouble selling tickets and I would just like message somebody. I'm like, could you post this? I'm so sorry. They'd be like, of course. 
we love you. We love the show. You should, of course, I'll post it. Give me the link. You know, but it feels like such an imposition. Right. And we're not a burden. I think if you're listening to this, you're like, <laughs> ask people for things. You're not a burden. It's fine. And also, like, friendship is a choice. It's not the same as family. So if somebody is your friend, they're choosing to be your friend. You guys so are you have really to, like... hammering home the show right now. Oh, man. This <laughs> is, like, talked the about big this part of the so show. Much. We've talked about this so much. <laughs> Me and Allison have been friends for, like, 10 years. We've known each other for 10 years. We haven't been friends the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I love that. That's so honest and, and wonderful. Well, I was just going to say, my director, Greg, um, again, like, talks about... Um, it, Everyone should hire a gay director because Greg is just like so I'm worldly saying. and wonderful. <laughs> and he's just like, well, we have this thing called like chosen family. And once we started talking about that, because he's just like infusing like kind of queerness into this very straight show, which is just like, and once we started talking about that idea of like you choose those people, there's like a cathartic moment in the show where we talk about that distinction. We're early on friends and family are opposites and they kind of become closer together by the end yeah mm -hmm. i hate this but there's like this thing where it's like if you admit that you love your male friends it's like people think it's gay have you seen that commercial oh my god have you seen that commercial where the guys it's like four guys and they get in the car and there's and it's quiet and then one guy in the front texts them i love you each of them in a group chat. And then they all look at each other and like pat each other on the back and smile. Have you seen this? It's a car commercial, no. I think. Oh my God. That's very funny <laughs> yeah. to me. It's the most no yeah. homo thing I've seen in a long time. Uh, yeah, that should be a new segment. <laughs> the biggest no homo thing I've seen recently. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I try to do that more. Again, like the bros I'm with are all like kind of like, they're different types of nerds. Like one's a Pokemon nerd and one's a Dungeons and Dragons nerd and one's a movie nerd. And like, so these are, these are like artsy people. These are not like the most closed off people on earth. They're certainly mm -hmm. more closed off people, more conservative people, certainly. And we still kind of feel that, that, uh, <laughs> that like prison of masculinity where it's like, mm -hmm. we just don't ever tell each other how we feel. But one-on-one, -on -one, I think it's easier. And like that group thing, that's the thing I talk about in the show where it's like, oh, like the group of bros didn't like to come see me in a musical, but like maybe I'll invite Nick and like, we'll see how that goes one on one. Yeah. You know? um, so that really, that really does help. And staying up late and just like drinking coffee and talking shit. That's how you get close to somebody. That's like my favorite thing <laughs> in the world. <laughs> my favorite thing in the world is the game hypotheticals. Oh, okay. Is that allowed? Yeah. Can we do a sh uh, our transition? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Cool. We're going to play a game show. Are you ready? Oh, born ready. Yeah, let's do it. The Hypotheticals is a game where you and Gabe, Gabe and Gabe, Gabe and are my Gabe. contestants. Yeah. I can give a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have. And then I tell you whose answer I like better sometimes. And Allison gets <laughs> to decide and it's arbitrary. Very arbitrary. Sounds good. Really makes or breaks friendships over here. <laughs> will the game, will the games be friends? We won't know. We got to stick yes. together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? You and your partner of 59 years have recently moved into a retirement home. There is one really hot nurse who is 38 and everyone is obsessed with how hot this nurse is because they look like a movie star. Your partner confesses that one day while you were getting a colonoscopy, no. the nurse came on to them no. and they were so flattered the hot nurse was interested, they went for no. it. 
Would you stay with this cheater? Went for it in what sense? <laughs> they hooked up. They did stuff. My partner can, like, can fuck? Yeah. They got some medications. Oh, good for them. Wow. Well, that nurse is taking advantage of her job. She's not supposed to do that. I was about to say, we got to have some age gap discourse about 38 and 90. <laughs> yeah. Not supposed to do that. 90? Yeah. 90? Wild. Yeah. Well, it's your partner. It's your partner of 59 years. So you could have gotten together at at 20 and then you're only 80. Okay, sure. There's a, part <laughs> of me that's like, there's, there's a real part of me that's like ignoring like the ethicalness of like hooking up with somebody who works at the nursing home. Like where I'm like, just get it. You know, like we're at the end. <laughs> like we're at the end. <laughs> we're they're in a nursing home. I'm not saying like we're they're in a retirement. Home. Oh yeah. my god. Okay, I'm from Florida. There are plenty of retirement communities where people are very active. That's they're so still funny. thriving. Yeah. Wow. And they told me right away. Like yeah, with once you were fully recovered from your colonoscopy. <laughs> I worry that that nurse is doing that to a lot of people. And I work like, what is their relationship henceforth? Is it like they're seeing each other or is that nurse kind of known for doing that with a lot of people and maybe we should report her? <laughs> no, she's never done it with anybody. And that's why it was so thrilling. I mean, imagine just the hottest nurse that's the talk of the retirement home and they <laughs> want you. That's hard to say no to. Are you going to tell everybody about it? Well, they said, well, should we tell or not? You know, will it increase our social cachet at the retirement home. It's up to you. Wow. <laughs> oh my wow. God. It's the Sopranos where he's like, he's like running, Junior's running like a gambling ring out of the yeah. retirement home and he needs to like, uh -huh. he needs to have the cachet with the nurse. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All I do is reference the Sopranos. Yeah. Okay, I'll stay. I'll stay. But we're going to get in trouble. Like, I'm going to get in trouble for not reporting it. My partner's going to get in trouble for doing it. Like, I'm, we're just going to be, we're getting in, we're going to end up getting in trouble. I know. Yeah. But I don't think you would get in trouble. The nurse would get in trouble. Aiding and abetting. <laughs> yeah, Obstruction, I knew about of what does that say about <laughs> Obstruction of justice. Obstruction of justice. Now, I do think it changes if it's just like a hot 38 year old who's like visiting their their parent. Agreed. In the, in Agreed. the nursing home. Because then it's just like, kind of just like purely. I don't want to say hot, but it's purely like um, <laughs> lustful and not like illegal. Uh, I don't know what happens at nursing homes in Florida. I'm sure 38 year old nurses are hooking up with all types of people. But, they have syphilis. Uh, nursing homes have syphilis outbreaks all the time. Bananas. I was born down there. So we're both Floridian. We're both Gabe Floridians. Look at that. Where? Um, <laughs> I was born in, in Palm Beach. Hey, so me too. South Florida. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Fort Lauderdale. Wow. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> wow. That's why we're allowing for this. We have no morals. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Swamp law. <laughs> Ain't no laws in Florida. Swamp law. No, I think you. I think it's right to stay. I would stay because I would understand. I mean, I guess I would be a little annoyed they didn't come with me for my colonoscopy because I do <laughs> like to have a, I do like to be accompanied to my medical appointment. A friend but went with drink you. Drink that juice or whatever. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. Maybe a friend went with what you. If I, a friend. Oh, yeah. Mm. My best friend went with me instead. <laughs> okay, our next game. Are you a terrible parent? Your child, seven, refuses to let you brush her hair. Okay. And it has become a tangled mess. So one night, you give her a lot of Benadryl, which makes her pass out. Oh, my God. And while she is asleep, you shave her head. When she wakes up and screams, you tell her, that hair falls out when it isn't cared for. 
And for that moment on, she takes great care of her hair and always lets you brush it as it grows back in. Are you a terrible parent? Wow. It's a lot to take in. It is. So I, I do, having worked with young children, I will give I'll give you this example. When I was at worked at a summer camp for kids with illnesses, I had two specialties, 15 and 16-year-old boys and six and seven-year-old girls. That's what the cabins they gave me. I'm, I think I, they were good because they're both at the same intelligence level. <laughs> because like <laughs> the little girls are just like with it and like know what's going on. And the little boys are so dumb. <laughs> and we had a lice outbreak in my six and seven-year-old girl cabin. And it was the day we were supposed to go to the amusement park, the Six Flags. So it's the only day we leave camp. So we have to be in public in like three hours. And we Uh just like woke up all the girls at like six in the morning. And we're like, okay, girls, like all your counselors, like not me, I was waiting outside. But like, you guys are all going to take showers and we're all going to use the special camp shampoo. And they were like, okay, like we'll do whatever you say. So, like, I do think it's important to lie to children. I just don't think it's appropriate. (laughs) The body horror of waking up with new hair is terrifying. Why did I think that you guys were like, hey, (laughs) hey, kids. Literally, I was waiting for you to say, hey, kids. um, So a fun thing we're going to do today is shave our heads. Uh, have you guys seen Mad Max? Yeah. It's going to be like that. When you go to the amusement park, it, actually, they don't let you into the amusement park if you don't have a shaved head. So we're all doing it. With the boys, we like the 16-year-old boys, we might have been able to get away with that. But like, there's something about like, th- there were some parents that were like, you're my kid's unit leader. And I was like, I know, I, I'll i be around. I'm just supervising. Like, I... <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, it's also so funny, the idea of showing up to an amusement park with a bunch of bald little girls. <laughs> it's like a little cult. With like it's half-assed like buzz cuts. In matching t-shirts. Yeah, like what sort of cult is this? <laughs> In Lake George. Do you think it would have been better to say, okay, I'm going to have to shave your head now? Because it's the problem that you did it while they were sleeping and then lied about what happened. Yes. Yeah. I I think if the kid won't brush their hair and you're having that kind of problem, there must be some other parental issue going on. Like it's not like my kid's perfect, except she won't brush her hair. Like it's usually like other (laughs) stuff going on. I think. (laughs) So we're thinking this is a real terrible parent situation. Yes. Yeah, I would say misguided. We could say terrible. We could say it's terrible. in the title. Yeah. <laughs> let's say terrible and let's say that. <laughs> I feel like that, that's a thing you work out in therapy. It's like, yes. yeah, I was seven and I woke up with no hair. Absolutely they, formative. Absolutely formative. <laughs> they gaslit me and they said it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> the therapists of Brooklyn have all heard this one. This is a classic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely formative. Okay. So you've heard it here first. Don't do that to your kids. (laughs) Our final game, we're bringing back an old favorite because Gabe and I had awesome uh, live show and did a meet and greet with some amazing fans. And one of our fans said that this was her favorite hypothetical and wanted us to bring it back. So here it is. This is for you. We're bringing back. Is this a date? Yes. Big question. This is great. Huge, huge. You are in a graduate program when you bump into an acquaintance you used to be in class with. They ask if you want to study together over the weekend, even though you aren't in any of the same classes this semester. Is this a date? 
Dum, dum, okay. dum. Is it par- they're saying like it's parallel play? Like, oh, you'll just study each your own things next to each other? Yeah. I've been doing that with Ella. Ella Hart? Yeah, we have little study sessions. Wow, I'm cheated on. <laughs> Absolutely cheated on. Would you stay with this cheater? No, I'm quitting the show. <laughs> You're not in graduate school. Go to grad school. For what? Friendship. <laughs> Truly, like, what would I study in grad school? So, okay, do they live alone? And we're studying at their house? Sure. Yeah, they invite you over for a study sesh. And what time of day is it? Nighttime? No, it's 11 a.m. It's not a date. Hmm. Mm, I would say that I, that I love the, that was so declarative. I want to be more declarative like you. Um, I would <laughs> say, I'm always like, well, so I think it's not a date, but it is horny. I think grad school is underrated, a horny a horny thing to do. <laughs> it's like, oh, like I'm going to write, but I'm 28. I don't know. That seems horny to me. That, that seems suspect. My experience of it is much more just like soulless. It's definitely <laughs> yeah. soulless. But then you, you need like the release, you know? <laughs> I like how doctors in residency are all hooking up. It's like that. Mm, I, yeah. well, I don't know. My friend, this girl that I'm seeing, she... Uh, was in grad school and she like talks about the way she talks about it. It's like, it's like there are small programs, but like they're, you know, everyone's kind of academic. It's like, it's like sexually active band geeks. Like everyone's kind of academic. And so like, they're like hooking up, but like writing intense, I, I don't, I don't know, like academic articles while like kissing in the library. Like, I don't know. That's the impression I'm getting of it. Wow. Very like, I don't know, but I think maybe it's it's was more like people who study not like you're studying like you know psychology and stuff. I think these are people who are like, let me dive deep into Moby Dick for no reason. You know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> I don't get yeah, I don't get the sense that anyone's hooking up in my program, but maybe I'm just oblivious. I don't think they tell you. I don't think they tell you. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe it's like MFAs are horny. Maybe oh, I'm interesting. Like, um, yes, MFAs are I, horny. Yes, big time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So Gabe thinks it is a date, and I think it's not. Well, I hate to break it to you, but it's not just a date. It's a proposal. <laughs> They're going to propose uh, to you. Wow. <laughs> At 11 a.m.? Yeah, why not? Keep you on your toes. You say no. <laughs> well, of course. You barely yeah. know them. Oh, they're just well-dressed. They're drinking nice coffee. Yeah, that's mm-hmm, a horny thing mm-hmm. to do. That's yeah. definitely a horny thing to do. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I have a lot to think about. Uh, We have a lot to unpack. Um, (laughs) Where can people find out more about everything you're doing and get tickets for your show? Yeah. The only social media that like I almost pretend to get is Instagram. So if on Instagram, you can find tickets to my show. And if you DM me, I'll send you a promo code. Um, That's a fun thing. You get a nice little discount. And Ooh. yeah, we're doing at least four more hey. weeks Thursday through Saturday. And yeah, if it keeps selling well, like we get to just like keep doing it. And I promise there'll be something in there for you, whether it's like Sandler movies or Sondheim or uh, musical theater camp or you were bad at sports or whatever it is. There's something in the show for you. I promise. That's sweet. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you guys. This was so fun. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about stuff. Yep. Just stuff. <laughs> Between us, it's time for topics. 
X, 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 baby. 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 Sorry, I talked over wow. you. Wow. Wow. Breaking the the sacred order of the babies. Mm-hmm. But not just breaking the order. They doubled down because they already said this. I theirs. know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know why I did it. I don't know why I did it. <laughs> So this week's topic, I thought I'd pick stuff. And by stuff, I kind of need material possessions. Because I feel like there's this big thing of like, oh, like material possessions don't matter. Love and friendship matter, which is our theme of this episode. But also, I really like nice things and stuff. And so I figured (laughs) I would get your thoughts on like, how is it okay to love stuff? Like, what's the balance? Like, what kind of stuff do we love? Yada, yada. I love stuff. I love having things. I love keeping <laughs> things. I love creating things. You know, I love buying things that add to my happiness. I won't say that it will make me happy, that it adds mm-hmm. to my happiness. I get rid of stuff all the time. I like give things away. I give people books. I give people stuff I don't want anymore. I get rid of clothes. I like, I'm just like whatever the opposite of a hoarder is. I give stuff, I get rid of stuff all the time. Minimalist. Minimalist, but also like I don't hold on to anything, which is kind of bad sometimes because I'll be like, oh, I kind of, I guess I wanted that. Also, I have bipolar disorder. So sometimes even if I'm manic, I give away all my stuff. (laughs) You ever been manic and gave away and sold all your things? Uh, Because I do it all the time. I moved to an apartment from a house. And so I've got rid of a lot of things, but I haven't replaced any of it. So like my TV's on the floor and stuff. Like I just haven't, I don't want to get any more stuff, but then I just, but then I'll get like, I got a basketball, (laughs) but I'm like very, like, I just am trying not to have as much stuff or like I've been getting rid of stuff. Like I don't need another lamp in here or, you know, I think I had two, I think with the big house, I had too, too many things. I just love to shop. I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> I love to shop. I feel like it's uh, always been like a fun kind of like family activity. You know, I like grew mm. up shopping so much with my mom and my parents and we like love the idea of like retail therapy where if like you're in a funk or things have not been going well, that like you get a new thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> I guess that like, yeah, it's like quote unquote, like materialistic, but it's also like kind of like soothing, and, like a throwback to like, I don't know, like my dad's like love language is like gift giving. And so mm-hmm. he would always like surprise us with stuff. And it's not that like, oh, I need these things, but there is definitely like a hit of dopamine when like you get something new that you like. Yeah. yeah. My, um, my birthday just passed and my parents, I thought that they were just getting me one present. But then I thought the present that my mom got was from both of them. But then my dad was like, you never told me what you wanted for a birthday. And I was like, hmm, well, guess I'm getting double this year. <laughs> oh, how fun. <laughs> Did you like what I got you? I loved it. It's pretty, right? It smells great. It smells clean. Just what Ooh. I like. I was instructed on what to get, and that made it very easy. I didn't instruct. (laughs) I just said, candles. Take back everything I said before on this podcast about how I didn't like them as gifts because I had an abundance of them because of Mm -hmm. gifts. And then, and I burned them, and then I ran out, and I was like, oh, 
I've never actually bought a candle, but now I need candles. And they are given to you as a gift. Yeah. The store I got it in, I feel like is like the perfect example of like just like stuff. You know what I mean? It was like mm-hmm. candles and just like knickknacks and like pens and like journals and just like cards and like things that like obviously unless I'm like buying a gift like I don't need. But like the amount of time I could spend in a store like that, just like looking at things and like it's like I don't know, like I I feel like we talk about like loving like the aesthetics of like art, but I also kind of love the aesthetics of stuff. Oh my gosh. What is art? Wow. Are we art? Is art art? Is a paper source a gallery of stuff? I just quote it. Uh save the bill. What is it? What's the quote? (laughs) What is art? Are we art? Is art art? Wow. And what episode is that? It was an episode where um, Lisa was dating this really pretentious dude. Mm, nice. Yeah. That is, but I would, if you said that that was a quote from like Picasso, I'd be like, wow. Exactly. I never liked shopping. Me and my dad, it's funny, like my sister and my mom and my aunt, And my grandmother, they loved it. They would go. It was so fun. Like now for them, it's very nostalgic, like similar to you, Allison. Like they, they love going. They love trying on stuff. They love, you know, that's like a whole day at the mall kind of thing. I like the mall. I kind of like walking around, but I am very much like, I know what I need to get and I get in and get out. And I never felt comfortable. Like I would always be dragged along on these shopping trips and I never felt that comfort that Cheyenne felt where she could just, my sister, where she could just go in and like choose stuff. And I just never like, and then, you know, she would love sort of like, I don't know. I just never had that feeling. It always made me anxious to be, which like maybe is a trans thing. I don't know. But like, it always made me feel anxious to be sort of like in these shops and like, they would always like, I remember my, my aunt, my mom came to visit like for Thanksgiving and we were walking around and they were like, oh, do you want anything? And I was like, uh, well, I guess these like, you know, these sort of um, leather bracelets. And they were like so happy to get them for me. And they always say like, you never <laughs> want anything. You never ask for anything. Because I always feel like, I don't know. I just feel like weird. I feel like I'm never going to pick the right thing. I feel like I'm going to go in. I'm going to get overwhelmed and I'm going to buy something I don't want. <laughs> I hate malls. I hate shopping around. I hate being around so many people. It it makes me anxious as well. But I will sit for hours in online shop. Really? Hours. <laughs> I'll put things in my cart that I don't even intend on getting. But I just like, I like looking at things. I'll shop for a car that I'll never buy online. I'll configure it. Yeah, I just look, I look at houses that I'm never going to buy. I just love being online shopping, but yeah. I can't do it in part. And actually I can do the the house hunting. I used to, that used to be a pastime of mine. Wow. I know. It's like not even necessarily, like you said, it's like not even about getting the stuff. It's just like mm-hmm. fantasizing about the stuff, looking at the stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. The other day I just like, I, <laughs> this is so silly, but so I like to use wet wipes for my hands, right? Um, but mm-hmm. I also carry Purell or like a sanitizing gel. And I like was realizing that I was like really rationing out my wet wipes, even though I preferred to use my wet wipes over Purell. And then I was like, Allison, you're an adult who works really hard and can afford 
to stay stocked in wet ones. <laughs> Mm -hmm. That's a thing that's okay. (laughs) You should put it on so that it just automatically sends after figure out how long it takes you to go through it and then automatic have have it sent to you. I had just been buying like one or two at the drugstore. Nah. But then I went online and I ordered a bunch of them, like 12 packs. And now I can just like freely use my wet wipes whenever I want on my hands. And I'm like, just so delighted. Wow. <laughs> Relatable. Wow. I, I stock up on so many things. Toilet paper, the guest toothbrushes. Do you have <laughs> problems? I love when I look in my mudroom and we're stocked up on stuff. It's like, it's I, like a feeling of like safety and like, that I'm like that like past me has cared for future me by getting oh this gosh. like toilet paper. It's like mm-hmm. wild. <laughs> when I mean, when there was a toilet paper shortage, I wasn't out of toilet paper oh and I was gosh. able to gift it to other people. So tell me who has a problem. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I just I I just feel very like if I'm not using something, I feel very like weird about it, like sunscreen or something. Like I'm if it's like I don't know. I just, I have like all these like goops and stuff in my, in my, that I got from brand deals or that I got from other stuff that's like in my bathroom. And, and then I get like really anxious about it being there. I don't know. I, or I buy, I like will buy something because I'll see like a review online and then I'll put it on my face and it'll just like burn my skin off. And I'll be like, why did I do this? Yeah. (laughs) I had to stop doing that, but I am well stocked on sensitive skin Neutrogena get a new mm. three pack every uh I think like six or seven months I don't know what I have it on auto but yeah I don't trust myself to get the right thing like I just don't yeah and I get nervous I'll like I'll be like okay let me get these like let me get these pants and then I'll be like I'll try them on and I'll be like oh I don't even I don't like them this I'm just describing dysphoria I don't know why I'm acting like this is something brand new but I but I've been getting a lot of free, now I will say this, exchanging things with people. That's where the sweet spot is because I've been getting a lot of clothes from my male friends or giving clothes or this this girl gave me a book and then I was like, oh, and I had a book for her and I gave her a book. Like that, I, that's how I like getting new stuff. It's like- It's still stuff though. It's still, still stuff. I like getting like still stuff. thrifted or I like getting like if someone gives me something, but I, but I also like exchanging. So like if someone gives me something, I'll be like, oh, I have something for you. <sighs> I don't know. It's just like, I don't know why I never liked it. My, my sister and my aunt okay. and my grandmother and everyone, it also seems to be a way that they bond. Not to be like the Jane Goodall of women. But they all seem to bond with each other over like buying stuff and getting stuff. And like my aunt gets my sister a purse or something. Jane and they good all and they like bond, you know what I mean? And like, why well, I just don't have that. I'm missing out on their like bond that they have with each other. When my parents go shopping, they just went to these big outlets and like they like report it back like what they got. <laughs> like we like talk about what we get. <laughs> yeah, that like bonds people. Y'all wanna know the stuff of stuff? Of the weird stuff yeah. that I got for my birthday. Yeah. I got a hot dog <gasps> toaster. What? So it's a toaster that has a little cage. They put two hot dogs in and then two hot dog buns. And then you pop it down and it cooks them and toast Just the get buns. an air fryer. 
I have an air fryer. This is specifically for hot dogs. Have you used it yet? Not yet. I just got it. Megan got it for me for wow for my birthday. So are you? Did you? Were you so delighted when you got it? Oh yeah. Did you even know something like that existed? No, I didn't. That's why it's the stuff of stuff. Yeah. Well, see, <laughs> I also got from my mom. I got a a, a milk maker, which I asked Whoa. for. But I'll be making milk. Cool. It makes it in four minutes. This is like Sky four Mall. Minutes. Sky Mall. You know what I mean? Like where you, I used to go through Sky Mall and be like, oh, I didn't even know that is the thing I could want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That one was an Instagram thing that got to me. I don't understand. What kind of milk? Milk. Dairy? It's just from nuts. Nuts. From not dairy milk. milk. Not dairy milk. Not dairy got milk. It. You can also yeah. use it to make juice as well. Wow. It'll be a good time. I'm really excited about it. Well, we'll have a milk party. We'll come over yeah. and have milk. You can just, what are you doing? You're milk just putting milk. almonds in the, in the thing and it makes milk? Yeah. Four minutes. Oh my God. That's wild. That's really thrilling. Mm-hmm. Stuff. <laughs> I love it. What do we rate this episode? I rate it 12 out of 11 adult male friendships. I will rate it 78 out of 44 elaborate lies. I'll rate it. 30 out of 14 mortician Gabe. Mm, I'm going to do it. Mortician. Gabriel the mortician. Thank it has you. a good ring to it. I'll believe it when I will. see it. <laughs> Thank you so much to Gabe Malika for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabe Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond Monts. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, you can follow this podcast at Just Between Us Pod on TikTok and at JBU Podcast on Instagram. Also, I'm on Instagram now at Gabe S. Dunn. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Raskin. And on TikTok at, at Allison Raskin Baby. And I'm on TikTok as Dabby Gun. So branding's going really well over here. Yeah, good luck finding us. Forever. Dog.